أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعجل فرجهم Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and allow me to begin by congratulating you all on the auspicious occasion of the birth of our beloved master and holy prophet, the messenger of God, Muhammad May we all be granted the blessing of visiting his grave and following in his footsteps in this world and receiving and being worthy of receiving his intercession in the afterlife. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad Allahumma sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad So allow us to continue where we left off the last time that we met uh, For two minutes, a very quick recap um, We began the theme of knowledge by spending a bit of time to understand The importance of and the merit and the worth and the value of knowledge first, and secondly of aql, intelligence, reason, uh, your ability to reflect and to be critical. Uh, and then we also establish the Quranic foundation for that importance. We spend a bit of time going through the verses of the Holy Quran to make sure that everything we're understanding from the narrations is backed up Quranically. Once that was done, we looked at the alternative to what we've been talking about, which was jahl. And we said the best way to translate jahl is by two words in English, not one, uh, which are ignorance, the absence of knowledge, as well as foolishness, the absence of aql and absence of wisdom. Right? And uh, with that said, we wanted to now start looking at this journey that we want to undertake to acquire knowledge. And we said that this journey must begin from the right place. If we want to do it, we want to do it right. We want to start where it logically makes sense to begin. Perhaps based on everything that we had already seen, we knew that in Islam, knowledge does not equal to simply an accumulation of knowledge or an accumulation of information. We said that it seems that there are conditions that need to be met and there's a certain path that needs to be followed. So to answer both of these, we said that we must begin with the notion of sincerity or having the right intention when acquiring knowledge. So this becomes our starting point for the journey and it also meets the first criteria, the first condition that makes the information that we carry Islamic. We said there are two big conditions. The first one is that it is acquired with the right intention. And the height, the highest level, the highest rank of that proper, right, virtuous intention is sincerity. And we said that the second ingredient, the second criteria or second condition, is that it's not sufficient to just acquire the information, to amass the information. The information that you have, if it's to be Islamic, it needs to transform you. It needs to change you. And this only 
becomes clear once it transforms into action, once you translate the knowledge that you carry into action. So we began by looking at the criteria, the hadith that clearly, specifically explain the first criteria, the criteria of sincerity and having the right intention when we acquire knowledge. Given that we're talking about sincerity and having the right intention, we also decided that we'd spend just a bit of time to understand how Islam views sincerity and this notion of intention in general. So we, we finished with the uh, link between sincerity and knowledge, specifically. Now we're looking at it more generally. In general, how does Islam view sincerity and how does it view intention in general, these two notions? This is very relevant and very important because the next topic that we want to talk about is going to be action. So before we jump into action, we've already said and we're going to say it again and again, in Islam the most important thing is the intention. It's not the action itself. Action becomes secondary. So this is already applied to, as we saw, already applies to knowledge, but this is going to apply to every action we undertake. Every action must begin with your intention. Why are you performing this? What are you hoping to achieve from this action? So inshallah, this is what we're saying right now, as relevant as it will be for knowledge in general, inshallah that it will go beyond that, and you can extend this to any action that you undertake uh, in Islam. So the part that we already covered is uh, the last time that we started talking about the general meaning of sincerity and intention. We started seeing some hadith, some narrations that talk in general about these notions of ikhlas, of sincerity and niyyah, intention. Today we want to finish that and we begin with the second subtopic that we promised, which is really getting an appreciation that this notion of sincerity or notion of intention is not a one rank, one size fits all thing, that it's actually a very wide spectrum. So we want to get an appreciation through the ahadith of just how wide it is, how high we can actually go, what kind of purity can we hope to achieve if we keep working, having the discipline and examining our intentions as we work out acquisition of knowledge and action in general. The first hadith that we wanted to look at, so this is, as we said, we're finishing off the first topic, which is the general meaning of sincerity and intention. The first hadith uh, comes to us from uh, Imam Ali alayhi salam in which he says, مَنْ رَغِبَ فِيمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَخْلَصَ عَمَلَهِ The one who desires that which is with Allah, they will purify their actions. That person is going to be sincere in their actions or purify their actions. This hadith could be understood in two different ways. Either the Imam is saying that if you desire for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you the reward of those who are truly sincere to Him, then you must obviously be sincere in your actions to God. The other way to understand it is that, to, to put it more, more succinctly, one way to understand it is to say that it is a consequence. Sincerity is a consequence. And one way to understand it is to say that sincerity is the cause. 
because I am sincere, then I achieve and I get and I acquire, I'm granted that which is with God. This is what I desire and that's what I receive. So my sincerity became the cause. The other way to understand it, Imam Ali is, is it goes without saying. The nature of those, the nature of the work, the deeds, the actions of those who truly work only for what God has, the nature of their work is going to be sincere. So it's a consequence. And both are important. One way to understand it is to say, if you really want to achieve that, you reach a certain level and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you something. The other is to say that you have to work on yourself so that you acquire that rank, that status, that state, and then you will receive what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you. So that's the first hadith. There's two ahadith here that are very similar except for one word. Aslul ikhlas and another hadith, awwalul ikhlas. So one of them is the basis, the foundation of sincerity. The other says the beginning of sincerity. Al-yasu mimma fi aydin nas. Literally, it would translate as to despair from that which is in the hands of the people. But it's actually not to despair. It's actually not to be interested in. Right? You have no interest in what's in the hands of the people. Literally, that's what it says. What does that mean? That means that if you are truly sincere, this is the beginning of sincerity, your first steps on the road to sincerity, the foundation or the beginning of sincerity, as the two ahadith say, you are not going to be at all interested to despair, to have no hope in what's in the hands of the people. So the very clearly, evidently, it could mean you know money, for instance. But it could also mean other things. It could mean that you do not care, that you have no interest in, for instance, getting fame. What is in the hands of the people? That they give you their attention, that they become your fans, that they become your followers, that they give you prestige, they recognize you, they give you a social rank, a social status. Any of those things could be that you're basically working to achieve something that people are going to give you. If you are on truly on a journey, on a spiritual journey towards sincerity, then the first step, the beginning of sincerity, awwalul ikhlas, is that you no longer care what people can give you. You're no longer interested in what's in the hands of the people. Okay? So that's the hadith. And of course, here, a very quick remark, and we continue. There's a lot of ahadith. If you go back through the, the compilations of ahadith, this specific wording, al-ya's mimma fi nas is used a lot in the narrations. The Holy Prophet used it a lot in many narrations to despair from, to be uninterested in what's in the hands of the people in all sorts of other contexts. In some of them, it talks, for instance, if, if you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to love you, as we have here, we also have a hadith that talk about if you want people to love you, then do not be interested in what, when, what's in their hands. In other words, you're not competing with them for what they already have. You're uninterested in the worldly things that they're competing for. You're not part of that group. You're not competing against them. You're not competing with them for those things. 
So they don't see you as competition, so they will love you more. That's the meaning of those ahadith too. And then there is also, in general, the fact that you also acquire a type of internal bliss or state of happiness or peace. Because you're not constantly looking to please anyone or to compete with anyone, you are only interested in what God has to offer for everything that you're doing. All you care about is, am I doing the right thing here? Is, Allah, is this what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to do? Then it doesn't really matter whether I get the likes or not, whether I get criticized or not. If this is what matters to me, then I'm, I'm at peace. I'm not going to constantly be living in this state of anxiety and stress, always looking for that one more thing, one more person that's going to validate what I'm doing, to recognize what I'm doing, to praise what I'm doing, and so on and so forth. So there's a psychological, there's a social component to this, and there's also a psychological component to this beyond the spiritual. So with this, I think we have finished the ahadith that we wanted to talk about for the general meaning of sincerity and intention. Let's move to the second topic. So the second topic was about getting an appreciation of the fact that when these teachings, these notions that we have about intention and sincerity, they don't give the impression that this is kind of a a one-level, one-position thing. It's a very wide spectrum. It's a very large continuum. So you could be at the bottom end of it, you're just getting started, or you could be at a very high rank. You, you have a lot of discipline. But there's also a push here, an encouragement that you, can, you constantly need to be working on yourself. There's always more to achieve. There's always a higher rank to, 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 to reach when it comes to sincerity and purifying your intentions. So I thought we would go through some ahadith to give, you, to give us an appreciation of this notion and also to understand what can we aspire to once you're on this journey. Where does it lead you? Where do you end up? Okay? And so obviously the moment we start, already we talked a little bit about this the last time, the notion itself of sincerity or purifying the intention is not easy in itself. And now we're talking about the much higher ranks of achieve what can be achieved. Okay, so there, we're recognizing this. But we also want to know how high a human being can go. What does it mean that you constantly have the self-discipline to examine and work on yourself spiritually to purify your intentions so that the, you are truly in everything that you do, you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A first uh, set of ahadith, I think they go together. The first one comes from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, Everything has an essence state where he does not like to be praised for a deed that he did for God. We mentioned this in passing the last time that we met as part of the Q&A, as part of the discussion that we had. Okay, so this is the first hadith. The Holy Prophet says, you do not, a servant of God, a person does not reach the core, the truth, the essence of sincerity until he reaches a point where he does not like to be praised for a deed, for an action that he performs for the sake of God. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. The second hadith, very similar. We are told that 
the Holy Prophet also said, The disciples of Isa السلام, asked him, Prophet Jesus, they asked him, Ya Ruhallah, Man al Who is it that is sincere? What is the definition? What is the trait of the person who is sincere to God? He said, The one who works, who acts for the sake of God and who dislikes to be praised for the work that he does for him. Okay, that's two. Another hadith from Imam al-Sadiq he says, Al-amal al-khalis, so he defines what is the sincere act, the sincere deed. He says, Alladhi la turidu an yahmadaka alayhi ahadun illa Allah azza wa jal. The sincere act is the one that you perform and you do not want to receive any praise for it except from God Almighty Himself. These ahadith, I think when you put them together, we talked a little bit about it, this notion that sincerity is all about starting to build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're going to see that in the next set of ahadith. It's as though you feel like you have an intimate relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you don't want anyone else to come in between. You did not perform this action for someone else. You performed it only for God. If you are truly sincere. Otherwise, for the majority of us, we're probably also performing it. Inshallah, in the best cases, we're, we're also performing it for God, but we're most likely also performing it for others. We want to be praised. We want people to tell us that was a good action. You did good there and to be encouraged. That means that there is a part of us that is still looking for that validation and that praise from people. These hadith say when you reach a high enough level of sincerity that you are truly doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're not only, this is the first hadith, when we are talking about defining in general sincerity, it said you're not interested in what's in the hands of the people. Yes, right? You're hopeless. You, you have no hope of, achieve, of getting anything from people. These ahadith are completely different. They're not saying that you're indifferent to the praise. It's not that it does not matter to me whether I am praised or not. These ahadith are saying you dislike receiving that praise. You do not want anyone to praise you. This is a different rank. This is a different level. Okay? That's why we said this is really, we're doing this to really appreciate how much of a spectrum there is, how much work can be done to achieve the higher ranks of sincerity and purifying the intention. The next hadith says from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the one who is sincere, you recognize them with because of four traits. They carry four traits. Yaslamu qalbuh. His heart is at peace. And this is a huge one, to have a heart that is actually at peace in any case, in any situation. No matter what's going on externally, internally, you're entirely at peace at all times. Alamatul Mukhlisi Arbaatun. Yaslamu qalbuh. Wataslamu jawarihu. And people are safe from his members, from his organs. You don't use your body to hurt anyone. Okay, let's continue and then we'll come back. وَبَذَلَ خَيْرَهُ وَكَفَّ شَرَّهُ This is someone who, whatever good they have, they spread, they spread good, and whatever evil or harm they have, they keep it to themselves. كَفَّ 
You keep it. You abstain from letting it spread, letting it reach anyone. And in many narrations we have, in a lot of ways, this is going to be meeting the same definition as being a good Muslim. Right? Someone who does not harm others. But here the whole the Holy Prophet is saying, this is the definition of someone who is sincere, who has sincerity. So this sincerity that he's talking about begins with this criteria that this person is at peace, their heart is at peace. Yaslamu qalbu, right? Yaslamu qalbu, wa taslamu jawarihu. This person is at peace internally, and they're not concerned, they're not preoccupied by anything outside of them. They're concerned with themselves. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing at this time? Am I preoccupied? Am I putting my energy? Am I putting my effort in the right things? And my main criteria is God. Everything else does not matter. I have no reason to go and harm anyone else. I don't have that type of relationship that I'm going to go out of my way to harm someone, whether it is with my tongue and my words, whether it's my organs. The entire body is safe for everyone. Why? Because you have no concern except with yourself. And we're going to see that in other narrations too. So one way to understand this sincerity is that your entire being, your entire effort and energy, how you view yourself and your relationship in the world is that you are an entity. You have been given existence by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are worried about yourself and that relationship with God. Everything else is a derivative of this. But this is how you view everything. You have no reason to go out of your way to compete with anyone else, to want something from anyone else, to harm anyone else. This is not the case at all. In everything you do. Okay, and we're going to see that literally in everything you do. The next hadith says, from Imam Ali alayhi salam, مَنْ لَمْ يَخْتَلِفْ سِرُّهُ وَعَلَانِيَتُهُ The person who you find no discrepancy between what is hidden and what is outwardly, okay, what is apparent, what everyone sees, the public. And وَفِعْلُهُ وَمَقَالَتُهُ And there is no difference between what they say and what they do. فَقَدْ أَدَّ الْأَمَانِهِ This person has been loyal to has been bestowed upon them. You are given existence, you are given this life, you are given these blessings. There's a certain way that you're supposed to use them, behave with them. Imam Ali says, this person whose inside and outside are fully matched, and there's no difference between what they say and what they think and what they do, this person is in full harmony at all levels, this person has they have been loyal to the uh, whatever they have been entrusted with. Right? And they have been sincere in their worship or their obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This, I think this hadith links back to, and I don't want to make a lecture about that, but links back to a lot of the, it could be new age movements and philosophies. It could be what we find in more traditional religions, Buddhism and others, where you're always trying to achieve that harmony inside and out. Okay, the Imam is talking about this. This is a person whose inside matches the outside and his words and his actions are fully aligned. 
This person is entirely, to go back to the other hadith, entirely at peace. And so this person is basically living as Allah intends you to live. This is the meaning of, therefore you have been loyal to the whatever has been entrusted to you. And you are sincere in your worship to God. This is the sincerity in worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what it means. The next hadith. This one from also Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, Al-ibadatul khalisah and la yarju rajula illa rabbah. So again, going back to the notion that you are sincerity in worship is for the person not to desire anything except their Lord. La yarju illa rabbah. Wala yakhafu illa dhambah. And to fear nothing except their sin. Except breaking the relationship with their Lord. It goes back to the same notion. Again, this person is going to be entirely at peace. This person is only worried about the relationship with their Lord. La yarju rajulu illa rabbah. This is the meaning of sincerity, Imam Ali says. That you desire, that you hope for nothing except the Lord, your Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that you fear nothing except your sin, which does what? Which ruins that relationship with the Lord. Are you worried about anything else? No, which means you are entirely at peace. Right? And it goes back to the other hadith again, that you're fully aligned internally and outwardly. The next uh, hadith here, so of course there's, there are psychological benefits to this. Someone who is really at that level of peace, that no, not worried about anything. We're not going to repeat what we said earlier. And here, here I, we could spend a whole lecture just on this. If we were to compare this, if we were to use this as a criteria for ourselves, we would see how far along we, how much work is ahead of us. And the majority of us, if you were to look at this hadith, if this becomes a criteria, the hadith says, Al-ibadatul khalasa. We all consider ourselves as worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're believers, we worship God. He says, sincere worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you desire nothing except your Lord. Let's look at our lives. Let's look at the amount of energy we put in into desiring, wanting things. How much goes to this Lord of ours and how much goes to the rest? And then the opposite. Imam Ali says, this person only fears their sin. So if we look at our lives, let's broaden the notion of fear. So fear is going to include your anxiety and your stress and your preoccupations, right? You don't want to fall into the mistake, into the error. There are things that are stressing you. You have anxiety because of them. Where is our anxiety coming from? Is it because of the sin that we may commit? as Imam Ali says, or is it coming from everything else? This is the distance that we have to, we have to work on ourselves. This, this applies to me, applies to all of us. When we look at this, this means this is the distance between me as I am today and where I need to go to, in order to achieve sincerity and my worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So of course there's a huge psychological benefit, but I'm the one who creating this stress and anxiety in my life. 
There's a way to purify this, to clean this up. And then I rid myself of all of this burden, of all of this stress, all of this anxiety. Okay? That's one thing. The second thing is, of course, and there are so many narrations and stories around this, those who really only truly fear their sin. Imagine the strength of character that you have, that you fear nothing except your sin. There's nothing that scares you. So long as it does not become a sin, so long as it does not ruin your relationship with your Lord, then you do not fear. If you can achieve that level, imagine how much lighter you are and how much stronger you are. What is out there that you cannot face if this is the stage that you achieve? Right? So again, for all of us to think about and to see which way, what, what are the steps that we need to take? How are we supposed to work on ourselves so that we move in that direction? Even if it's just to really focus on, let's call them the psychological benefits of this. If it's not just the really spiritual, you know, religious ones. There are huge psychological benefits to this. You will live your life entirely differently. You view the world entirely differently. Of course, here someone might say also, when Imam says, لا يرجو الرجل إلا ربه ولا يخاف إلا ذنبه You only aspire to, you only want, desire your Lord, and you only fear your sin. Someone might say, does it mean that you are someone who is neglectful of this world? You're not interested in anything in this world, right? You're only focused on things that are worship and spiritual and so on and so forth. And inshallah, this is going to be very clear as we go through the narrations. Perhaps not today because we're really focusing on the higher levels of sincerity. But this is going to become clear throughout this series that in our religion, the notion of duty or responsibility is very high. So the idea that you're becoming neglectful, neglectful towards yourself, neglectful towards your family, neglectful towards your community, your society, the world, so on and so forth, cannot be accepted. And we're going to see how much emphasis is given to all of that. So the idea here when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I want you to focus on me and your relationship with me, this is going to include all of the duties that fall in that relationship. It's not at the expense of, and we're going to see that loud and clear. It's not that you completely forget that you are still a physical, material being, biological being living in this world. Right? You can't cut those ties away and only be, you know, find a corner somewhere and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 24 hours a day. This is not what we're talking about. Okay? The next hadith from Imam al-Baqir alayhi salam, he says, لا يكون العبد عابدا لله حق عبادته حتى ينقطع عن الخلق كله إليه فحينئذ يقول هذا خالص لي فيتقبله بكرمه The servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لا يكون العبد عابدا لله حق عبادته does not achieve the rank, the status of being a true worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until, until they uh, completely detach themselves from all the creatures 
from anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they become devoted only to him, exclusively to God. And then God says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when someone achieves that rank, that level, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about that person, he is exclusively devoted to me. So he accepts him through his grace and generosity. What I want to highlight in this hadith is that in addition, because we've already talked about this exclusive devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the other ahadith, in this, had, in this specific hadith, we have a new element. We have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying something. And this is the part that I wanted to highlight. That in this hadith, you start realizing that to achieve those higher ranks, it's not something that you can do on your own. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is accepting you, is bringing you in, is helping you, supporting you. And there is something that is being done to you by Allah as opposed to only you doing. You are doing, therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards you, makes you better. This, these are the hadith that you take steps towards God and He takes double those steps or quadruple or five times or ten times those steps towards you. It's because you cannot achieve those ranks. So anything that is difficult and higher, especially in the spiritual level, without some blessing, without some tawfiq, without a push, a divine push, a spiritual push from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This has to be part of what you're hoping for. Because otherwise, you're actually falling in a very subtle form of shirk. That you are failing to understand that the only way to achieve those higher ranks, just like achieving anything in life, is only possible through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is tawheed. That everything comes to you and everything leaves you because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it, wants it to. And this very much and even more so applies to the spiritual dimension. And this is a problem for those who really start working on themselves and increase their worship and their path to sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes you focus entirely on what you're doing. You forget that there's a huge part of this that it's what Allah is doing to you. It's you cleaning yourself up purifying yourself and your intentions so that God does, God does what He wants to to you. This is not a journey that you're taking on your own by yourself. You can't do that without any help. You need God to take you by the hand and drag you there. And so this is why we start talking about these hadith where you're constantly going to be reminded that yes, you are doing the hard work to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you're sincere, that you're serious about this. But what's really happening is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking you by the hand and bringing you to the next step, to the next stage, to the next level. Okay? And then the final hadith here is from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, Az-Zuhdu Sajiyatul Mukhlisin. Az-Zuhd, and this is to do the full loop to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. We said the first hadith, Al-Ibad Al-Khalasah, and La Yarju Rajul Illa Rabbah. This person is entirely detached, they only aspire to their Lord, and they only fear their sin. Right? That was the first hadith. This one, Imam Ali says, As Zuhdu, asceticism, 
You know, when you're completely detached from the things, you don't want the worldly things of this world. The majority of the people, when they think of someone who has zuhd, you imagine someone who has absolutely nothing in this world, right? They own nothing, they have nothing, and therefore they are a zahid. That's the caricature way of understanding zuhd, is to be detached from the things of this world. That's not zuhd. That's not having anything. That's not owning anything. It may be zuhd and it may not be zuhd. So the definition of zuhd is what? Imam Ali says, zuhd sajiyatul mukhlasin. It's the trait of those who are sincere, of the sincere. And inshallah, we will talk about zuhd in much more detail later when we are going to talk about character development. And in there we're going to see. Zuhd is about the attachment of your heart to things. How attached are you to things? Not what you own. There's a difference between things that you own and how attached are you to them. What if you lost all of those things? What are you willing to put in to get those things? How much effort, how much time, how much energy as opposed to other things? How do you prioritize? This is going to be the way to understand zuhd. And to come back to that first hadith, inshallah towards the end of the this topic we said we're going to talk about the consequences of sincerity and intention. And in there, we said there's different types of consequences. One of them is that you get consequences in this world. And that will, then we will see that when you completely detach yourself from the things of this world and you make your priority Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hadith, we have a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is going to manage your affairs and He will make your life easier for you. And He is going to make sure that whatever you need in this world is going to be provided. So this is part of the consequences of this world too. In addition to the consequences in the next world, that you achieve the highest rank possible of belief, of faith, of Jannah and so on and so forth. Inshallah we're going to come back to that. And of course this hadith again from Imam Ali is another one where you could see zuhd, sajiyatul mukhlasin, those people who have achieved zuhd. And he says that this is a trait of those who are sincere. It could again be understood both ways. The zuhd is the cause and the consequence is the sincerity. You detach yourself from the things of this world so that you move towards sincerity. So sincerity becomes the outcome, the consequence. Or it is the consequence. The cause is the sincerity. The more you become sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you will become zahid and you will achieve zuhd. And in fact, this is the true definition of zuhd. This one cannot be faked because it's internal. You only achieve zuhd through sincerity. As you detach yourself, not which is not equal to not owning things, as you truly detach yourself spiritually from things, you move towards zuhd, you move towards asceticism of not being attached to the things of this world, worldly things. You prioritize things in the right way. These are ahadith, the next series of ahadith. We have a few here. These ahadith are going to help us highlight this other notion that we've been talking about, which is as part of sincerity, we have to understand that there is a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're trying to build. 
an intimate, a personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The majority of the people who become, who are believers or who become believers and worshippers, you perform the rituals, you perform the prayer and you perform the fast and you even go to perform the pilgrimage and so on and so forth. And you pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you need to and you invoke Him in your hours of need and so on and so forth. But do you have a personal relationship with Allah? Can you say that you have an intimate relationship with Allah? Do you talk to Him as you would talk to the most intimate of people in your life? Do you have that line of communication, that channel of communication open or not? Okay, so you are performing the rituals, but you need to work on a personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This changes the way you view the world. No different than if you have an intimate relationship with any human being on earth, you want to please them. You want them to be happy with you. This is a different kind of relationship than God says, I have to pray five times a day, so I'm going to stand and pray five times a day. If you have a relationship and a personal one, an intimate one with God, you want to please God, not just because He said so. You want to present the best that you have to God. You have to make sure that that relationship is maintained and preserved and is constantly getting better and stronger. And you don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. And if you do, it actually hurts you. You feel that you lost out on something. Okay, so these ahadith, inshallah, push us in that direction. And we're still talking about sincerity and we're talking about righteous intentions. The first one from Imam Zain al-Abidin alayhi salam, he says, uh, and this is coming to us from uh, Al-Munajat. So as you know, Sahif al-Sajjadiyah is a compilation of the prayers of Imam al-Sajjad alayhi salam. There is a shorter version of Sahifa Sajjadiyya, so it's 54 invocations, 54 dua. And then there are 15 munajat. A munajat means uh, whispered prayers. Okay, so the Imam would not read these out loud. He would kind of whisper them, read them to himself, and the scribes would write. Okay, so these are different. And I invite you, they're very short. Sometimes they're two or three paragraphs long. Okay, but they, they're very concentrated in meaning a lot more than what you find in the rest of the ad'iyah. In any case, so this first part is coming to us from one of these whispered prayers from the imam, the seventh one. There are 15 of them. By the way, so I said 54 ad'iyah in the normal Sahif al-Sajjadiyah. There are longer versions because there's a lot of other ad'iyah that we know from Imam al-Sajjad that were also added. So sometimes you see a Sahif al-Kamila or you know, and so you have much more than 54, 80, or 100, or up to 300 ad'iyah that we have from Muhammad Sajjad alayhi But the full short one is 54 dua with the, the 15 plus the 15 prayers that are the whispered prayers. So this one is from uh, number seven, uh, the munajat of al muti'in in which the imam, uh, so the munajat, the, the whispered prayer of those who are obedient. And uh, this is the second paragraph in it. It's three paragraphs. He says, Allahumma hamilna fi sufunin fi sufunin najatik. So he's praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, Our Lord, carry us in the ships of your deliverance, of your rescue. 
Okay, so please start also noticing how what we talked about, which is he doesn't say I will do and I will achieve. It's for me to reach any rank, any level, it is only through the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here it's not just normal help. This is deliverance. This is being rescued. Okay, so you see the, that's the, the relationship that I'm, I'm talking about. The Imam says, Allahumma ahmilna fi sufuni najatik. O Lord, carry us in the ships of your deliverance. And allow us to enjoy the blissful pleasure of speaking intimately with you. This is a pleasure that no one knows except those who have that type of relationship. So the Imam is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this type of relationship. Of those who get the, a blissful pleasure. So there's a mut'ah here. From what? Biladidi munajatik. There is a deliciousness to having an intimate communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Imam is asking for that. And then in the next part he says, And allow us to drink from the pools of your love. And uh, let us taste the sweetness of your affection and nearness. These are not metaphors the Imam is using. This is to talk about the type of relationship he has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? If someone has a relationship where every time I talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I get a pleasure out of it. Am I not constantly going to be in that state? Am I not constantly going to be looking for opportunities to put myself in that state so that I get that type of pleasure that no one else knows except me. Right? So this is, some, this is why, for instance, we're told that the Holy Prophet would say that this is his, his bliss and his pleasure in this world is to pray. We have a hadith from the Holy Prophet in which he says that. Or he would tell Bilal, Arihna ya Bilal. You know, bring this peace and pleasure to us. To Bilal, Bilal is the Mu'addin, which means make us enter into the time to pray. For a lot of us, billah, as the Quran says, qamu ila salati qamu kusala. And the Quran is talking about the hypocrites, the munafiqeen. It says when they stand to perform the prayer, they stand in a lazy state. Qamu kusala, they're lazy. The Holy Prophet tells Bilal, arihna. Allow me to enter the state so that I reach my raha, I reach my peace, I reach my bliss, so that I enter the state of being in direct worship of Allah. Okay, forget everything else, now I'm in that relationship. This is what you find here, but it's explicitly stated, right? The Imam is talking the terms that he's using when he talks about sweetness, when he talks about a blissful pleasure. And let us taste the sweetness of your affection and nearness. وَجْعَلْ جِهَادَنَا فِيكِ And make our struggle, this is the notion of jihad and Islam, all of my struggle, all of my effort in this world, I want it to be what? Fiqh. It's for your sake, in you. This is the notion of jihad. That your struggle is entirely to create that relationship with God. So that you have that type of relationship. That type of intimacy, that type of communication and pleasure from that communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says, 
وَهَمَّنَا So he's asking Allah, وَجْعَلْ وَجْعَلْ جِهَادَنَا فِيكْ وَهَمَّنَا فِي طَاعَتِكْ And all of our preoccupation, so it goes back to what we're talking about, my, all of my preoccupations are about the obedience, your obedience. And then finally, وَأَخْلِصْ نِيَاتَنَا فِي مُعَامَلَتِكْ And the end result of all of this is and make our interactions with you and interactions based on sincerity. An interaction based on sincerity. وَأَخْلِصْ نِيَاتَنَا فِي مُعَامَلَتِكَ فَإِنَّا بِكَ وَلَكْ إِلَىٰ آخره. So this is the seventh uh, of the whispered prayers of Imam Sajjad The next hadith from Imam Ali السلام, He says طُوبَ لِمَنْ أَخْلَصَ لِلَّهِ عَمَلَهُ وَعِلْمَهُ I'll say it and then I'll, I'll say a couple of things about the word طُوبَ Tuba, let's simply translate it the best way, is blessed be those. It's used a lot in the, in the uh, New Testament. Okay? Tuba, liman akhlasa lillahi amalahu wa ilmah. Blessed be the one who has purified to God or who has sincerely devoted to God. His action, amalahu wa ilmah, and his knowledge. And his love and his hatred. It's all for God. Sincerely devoted to God. My love and my hatred. Sincerely devoted to God. And what he takes and what he leaves. It's all for God. His speech and his silence. وَفِعْلَهُ وَقَوْلَهُ And what he does and all that he says. In other words, this person is devoting his entire being in every dimension and every angle. It is all devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word طُوبَ When the Imam says طُوبَ لِمَنْ So as we said, usually it's translated as Blessed be those. It's actually mentioned in the Quran. Tuba lahum muhsnu maab in Surah Ra'd. Tuba. We are also told someone came to the Holy Prophet. A man came to the Prophet and asked him, "What is Tuba?" He had heard the Holy Prophet talk about Tuba liman, Tuba liman. So he said, "What is Tuba?" And the Holy Prophet told him, "It is a tree in heaven." And then he described the tree. It's a magnificent tree in heaven, and it has fruits. And we are told in some narrations that all of the clothes that are described, there's a lot of description of the clothes worn by the people in heaven. Al-Harir, Wal-Sundus, Wal-Istabraq, right? That, they, that is worn, these different types of silk that is worn by the people of heaven. All of it comes out from that tree. Okay, it's used of that tree. And many of the fruits are coming out of that tree. In any case... So it could actually be both. This is Tuba. Blessed be those in this world and the afterlife. Your place is actually close to that tree in heaven. Okay, so both work entirely. Here there's also, I thought there's a, a, a twist or a difference here that the Imam is talking about something at an even higher or more difficult level. It's not that just that this person, obviously from all the other ahadith, we know this, the more you dedicate everything and devote everything sincerely to God, no, the Imam here made a point to talk about knowledge. Okay, we've talked a lot about knowledge. But he also talked about emotions. He said this person's love 
and hatred are only for the sake of God. There's nothing else but God, even for your emotions. So yes, for sure, there's at one level, we understand how difficult it is to achieve this type of rank. But on another level, it also means that someone who is at that stage, who are aspiring to be at that stage, also needs to be fully in control of their emotions. We live today in a world where we're constantly bombarded and reminded that, you know, emotions are something that happens to you. You're not in control of. You know, love is just something that happens to you and you're just a slave to it. And every other emotion the same way. Love is the big one. When you have a hadith like this, clearly what's implied, what's implicit here, not said, is that this person is fully in control of their emotions. I don't allow myself to love that which is going to cause me the relationship with God. Right? This is not sincerity. Imam Ali salam here is saying, these are the things that are devoted entirely to God. They've given up those things to God exclusively. Their actions, okay. Their knowledge, okay. Their love and their hatred. What they want to take and what they want to leave. So basically everything they do, they do it based on from the angle of that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? In any case, here there's a, there's a lot more that we could say because this brings us to that whole discussion. Does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also feeling anger and hatred or not? Because you're matching it with His. That's basically what it means. Okay, and there are a few theories. But basically the big theory, the one that would be taught in classic kalam is basically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change. Everybody agrees on that. He doesn't have you know, emotional states, psychological states. He does not change that way. So usually when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about anger or pleasure, He's talking about the effects of those things that He has promised or explained that fall under His wrath, for instance, or under His pleasure. So He's talking about the effect you get from doing something in compliance with certain things. But we also, at a much higher level, and we're not going to spend time on this, we also have a hadith where they come to the imams and ask them, what does it mean? that when we talk about God's pleasure or God's wrath. And Imam Sadiq he talks about this at, in detail in one of the hadith. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not one to, a cre- like a creature, to change states. That's impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But He has created creatures that feel wrath and that feel anger or that feel pleasure. And that's how you know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala feels through them. Not because He's feeling that, but it's because He's true transcendent. It's impossible to know how he is. So he's created creatures and he's told you, look at that creature. That creature, if he's angry, it means I'm angry. You'll never understand my anger. You'll never understand my pleasure. But you can understand it through that creature that I'm appointing in front of you. And then the imam goes on to list, to read some verses of the Quran. He tells, and this is no different when, for instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you cannot go and give allegiance to God and promise God something and make a deal with him. No one can do that. But what you can do is go and do it with the Holy Prophet. And then the Quran says, "Innama, those who are giving their allegiance to you, O Prophet, they are giving their allegiance to God. Or the narrations that say when you put the, the charity, the, 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 the pieces of money in the hand of 
a poor person, they're falling in the hand of God first. Or when we have other narrations, other ahadith, other Quranic verses that talk about you, you want to know, you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to love you, make sure the Prophet loves you. Then it means Allah is loving you. Right? And the opposite. So this is in line with what the Imam Sadiq explains. Inshallah, we leave that to another day. The next hadith that we wanted to talk about here is uh, from Imam Ali السلام, as well. He begins with So it also begins with blessed be or Tuba maybe to the one who they are sincerely performed all of their obedience or their worship and their invocation, their dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They've sincerely done it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they do not worry their heart or their mind with what their eyes see. Tuba, bless be the one who is sincere in their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who has not worried their mind or their heart with that which their eyes see. And what else? And he does not forget the remembrance of God, of Allah, because of what his ears hear. And his heart does not become saddened by that which has been given to another, someone else. So to me, this is an explanation of the hadith that we were looking at before. Those who are not interested in what's in the hands of others, all of their preoccupations with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is another way of understanding it. And the way of understanding it here is that this person, not only are they fully in control, as we saw in the previous hadith, of their emotional states, but you're fully in control of your awareness. Where is your attention at all times? Where is your consciousness at all times? What are you focused on? Where is your focus? When things are happening around you and your eyes see things, and your ears hear things, and you notice things and your heart may want to desire those things. Where is your consciousness? Where is your awareness? Does it shift? Does it budge? Or not? The Imam here is saying, blessed be or Tuba may be to this person who is sincere in their worship of God. And then he's describing them. This is someone who no matter what they see with their eyes, they're not distracted. Their mind is not distracted. No matter what they hear with their ears, they do not forget the remembrance of God. The dhikr, the dhikr is not the utterance, right? The utterance is a reflection of something deeper. You're in a state of remembering. Your mind, your spirit is in a constant state of awareness of God. This is the dhikr. And it may come out as an utterance, as words. But not necessarily. You can be in a state of dhikr internally. This person is always in a state of dhikr. Regardless of what they hear and regardless of what they see. And even though others may have things that everyone else desires, those people are not interested in those. You're not going to be pulled away from that state of awareness because of the trickery of this world. You don't lose focus of why you are in this world. Easy? No, not easy at all. But we're talking about sincerity. 
We're talking about the highest level of an intimate relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're saying we want to understand what that means. What does that look like? So here we have the explanation. That's what we promised, right? The next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, مَا أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ عَلَىٰ عَبْدٍ أَجَلَّ مِنْ أَنْ لَا يَكُونَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مَعَ اللَّهِ غَيْرَهِ He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not bestowed upon a servant a greater and more noble favor than to empty his heart from anything else but God. So note here again, how the Imam is not saying that you did this on your own. You got help. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a hand. He's the one who, ma Allahu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has never bestowed a favor, a blessing so great upon someone. You do the work, but the result may or may not come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So not to forget that all of this is only possible through the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then one more hadith here. Again from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam because this is from Masbah al-Shari'a. He says, لا بد للعبد من خالص النيتي في كل حركة وسكون. A servant must have an intention for every act that he commits and every act that he does not commit. Sukun is the act that you don't perform. That requires an intention. Okay, So you're never in a state of just heedlessness. When you don't do, it's not because you're just distracted and aloof. You don't do consciously. You choose not to do and you choose to do. That choice has an intention. Why are you doing? Why are you not doing? He continues. He says, so there is nothing that a human being, a full human being, does except that it has an intention behind it. Okay? Park this. إِذْ لَوْ لَمْ يَكُنْ بِهَذَا الْمَعْنَى يَكُونُ غَافِلًا Because if he were not so, if this is not someone who has a clear intention behind every action and every non-action, then this person falls under the definition of غافل. They are heedless. And what does the Quran say about الغافل? وَالْغَافِلُونَ قَدْ وَصَفَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِقَوْلِهِ And then the Imam reminds us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a description of those who are heedless. He has said, إِنْهُمْ إِلَّا كَالْأَنْعَامِ بَلْ هُمْ أَضَلُّ سَبِيلًا They are like cattle. In fact, they are even more astray. Okay? So inshallah with this part, uh, there was maybe one, one more hadith and then we'll stop and we'll continue the next time. The last hadith, because it finishes, it closes the loop with this one. I didn't want to skip it. It's very clear. And inshallah, it's something that we've talked about, but this is the hadith. The Holy Prophet tells Abu Dhar, he says, Ya Abu Dhar, liyakun laka fi kulli shay'in niyatan salih. Oh Abu Dhar, you should have, you must have, in everything, a righteous or a virtuous niyyah. A virtuous intention in everything. And then the Holy Prophet gives him a couple of examples. He tells him, Even when you go to sleep and when you are eating. We may think that 
These are just neutral, you know, biological functions. Everybody does them. No, the Holy Prophet tells Abu Dhar, make sure Abu Dhar, if you are someone like Abu Dhar, this is what you're looking for. Make sure that you have a virtuous, a righteous intention in everything, including your sleep. Don't go to sleep without a niyyah. Think about it. Why are you falling asleep? Why are you going to sleep? One person is going to do it for the biological function. Fine. Do you get reward for that? No. You're heedless of what you're doing. It's happening to you. You're just going along with it. There's no niyyah. This is not an intentional act that you're performing. Another person is going to say no, so that I rest my body, so that I get closer to God with a stronger body. I eat food because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to eat food, and I eat what He wants me to eat so that I become in a better state to worship Allah, to be a better human being as Allah wants me to. The same act, but now there's an intention behind it. The intention changes the act entirely. This is what we've been talking about since the beginning of the series on knowledge. This is where I wanted to get at. When we said the meaning of the knowledge, the Islamicity of knowledge, whether it's Islamic or not, depends on the intention you put behind it. Two people are falling asleep. One person is getting rewarded for that sleep because their intention is to do it to please God. And the other person is doing it because you go to sleep every night. One person is eating and being rewarded for eating because of their intention. And the other person is eating the same food at the same table with this person, but they're not getting any reward because you're heedless of that dimension of what you're doing. It doesn't solidify. It doesn't work. It doesn't give you credit towards that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so inshallah, the next time that we meet, we continue with this topic. We still have uh, a couple of things that we wanted to finish, uh, and then we'll move to the next. So inshallah, the next times that we meet, once we're done with this, we want to talk about directly the link between knowledge, intention, and action. We haven't had any hadith that talk bring all three together. So we will bring a couple to talk about that, and then we'll move towards the topics we promised, which is, Intention is more important than action, quality over quantity, and what does sincerity actually look like? Is it only you know performing acts of worship and being secluded in a mosque and giving charity and prayer, or does it have anything to do with you know sleeping and eating as we started to see? Okay, so the typical normal actions of your life. So inshallah we continue with that. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين So we can take 5-10 minutes if you want to for a quick Q&A discussion between you guys with me all good تفضل So we talked a little bit about that a couple of times in the past lectures. Um, 
first of all, we have to recognize that we're talking. So the question, in case there's a, because we get comments saying that we're not repeating the question, so they don't know what the question is. Where do we start? Uh, because it does look like it's something that is extremely difficult to do. And not only difficult, it's you don't even know where to start, right? Difficult is at least you know the path, but you know that it's difficult. And we said that if you look at specific ahadith with that in mind, you'll see that we are basically told, go and start somewhere, and with the right intention, you will get there. We saw a hadith, for instance, we went through a lot of a hadith that tell us do not acquire knowledge unless you're doing it for the right reasons. Otherwise, the knowledge will be used against you. Then at the end, we added a few hadith that basically say, if you fear that you do not have the right intention, this is not a good enough excuse not to acquire knowledge. Therefore, go acquire the knowledge. We saw a hadith from the Holy Prophet, from Imam Ali, from Imam Sadiq. Go acquire knowledge and the knowledge will work on you and will change you if you allow it, if you have the right intention. So this is the same way. And we've been talking about that. We said this has to be a recurrent theme for all of us. We will talk about a lot of things and they will look like they're difficult. It's not because they're difficult that we let them go. Because the other alternative is not an option. Okay, Going the other way is not an option. So that's one. The second thing is, what we're talking about is the highest level. None of us, I think, should be saying, I will reach this level or I will reach this level tomorrow. Maybe one day, inshallah, but even then, who amongst us is going to be able to say that I am God aware, that I have awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 24-7 in everything I do. Okay, But this is something to aspire to, so that we know if you want to head that direction, that's why we said how high you can go, how, fl- how high you can fly. Okay, Because if you don't know, you don't even turn in that direction in the first place. And the idea here for us is that now that we understand the height of it, we also understand where to begin. And this is the point where we're trying to go with, inshallah, in a couple of lectures. I think the next one, maybe, or maybe the one after, where we're going to talk about what does it look like? We're going to see a hadith, and we already started with the one on Abu, from Abu Dhar, that are going to put us on that path. Simply thinking about the fact that I'm going to sleep to please God. That's all you need to do. You don't need to go further than that. That will work on you. That This is not a blind act that I'm performing. I'm performing this with an intention. It's part of, which is the whole point of the whole series, this is part of a worldview. None of this is disconnected. It's not like I go to the mosque two hours a week, I perform my religious duty, and then religion stays there, and I move on to other parts of my life. When I eat, when I drink, when I study, when I work, when I sleep, when I exercise, this is all part of the same thing. I can perform it with the same intention. The same intention that I have to perform my prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I can put it in my eat, in my eating, and in my food, and when I drink, and when I go to sleep. And this, I assure you, is going to change the way you live your life. Because it means that when there's something iffy and questionable, and you've practiced, and you've made it a habit to constantly think, what's the intention behind it? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? There's some stuff that's going to be kind of a slap in the face. It's like, 
I can't do this. <laughs> there is no way to turn this into something that I can add an intention that this is for God. No matter how I spin this, there is no way that I can turn this into, and therefore God will be happy, happier with me that I do this. God is going to be happier with me if I eat. He doesn't want me to stay hungry. He gave me the food. He gave me the health. He wants me to maintain my body. All the verses of the Quran say that. Eat so long as you're not crossing the red lines. It's all good. You want to buy new clothes. You want to buy a new car. You want to buy a new house. You want to get a good job. All of that is good. Be powerful and be good so long as you're not breaking the laws. You're not harming anyone else. You're not doing anything that God does not want. The intention is easy for all of that. But you have to be God aware. You do it with God in mind. You gave me all of this, I will use it for good. You gave me all of this, I will eat the right things. And I will drink the right things. And I will sleep in the right way. And I will get the right job. And I will do all I can with it. All of this is now becoming an act of worship. And this is what we talked about earlier when we said the knowledge that you're getting, you're getting it anyways. You're going to spend years acquiring a certain type of knowledge. Add the intention to it and it becomes an act of worship. You're getting rewarded for it. You're going to go work and you're going to make money. Great. And it's also an act of worship. This is now becoming something sacred. God is going to reward you for it. You say, I want to study hard and I'm going to work hard so that I can provide for my family. This is considered something sacred in Islam. That you provide for your family. But you have to do it with an intention. If that intention is not there and you're aloof and everything in life is just steering you one direction or another, this is where you fall in the heedlessness. Why did you do this? I don't know. Just because? Not good enough. There's no reward that goes with that. How aware are you of God when you're doing it? If today you do it and you keep doing it, I assure you in one year your intention is going to be different than when you start. It's going to be a lot deeper and a lot stronger. And the reward will match that intention. Okay? And you will be a different human being. And that's why the reward goes there. Okay? But that's an excellent question. And that's the whole purpose of what we're trying to do. We should all be asking ourselves that. Where do I start and what does it look like? Follow. correct. So when we were going through the series on belief, and we're going to go back to it because we touched on the idea of action and belief. How important is action? What do we do with action? There are people who do good actions, but they have no belief. What does that count for? And our conclusion there, there was that it doesn't count for anything unless God wants to count it for something. Otherwise, it counts for whatever their intention was. Right? So if my intention is worldly, Allah will give me the worldly things and it stops there. That's what I worked for. My intention is heaven, I get heaven. Right? So it, it's fair and square. That's, that was the bottom line. Of course, there's more nuances in there, but that was the, the short bottom line. But we said also that there is a vicious and a virtuous cycle that we have to know. So you learn, you get knowledge, it must lead to action. Knowledge on its own, stops. It goes nowhere. It doesn't count for anything. When it becomes action, if you actually 
do action that matches fully your knowledge with sincerity, then this will elevate your level of knowledge. And this new knowledge is going to come from God. This is not a knowledge that comes from books or from lectures. Okay? This is a light. You may read something in a book or hear something in a lecture, but everybody heard it. Why did it make change in you and not someone else? This is the light. This is the divine light. We haven't talked about it yet. Okay? It's going to be a, a topic in the series, the spirituality of knowledge. The same thing is going to be repeated here, which is the idea of the sincerity. Sincerity, that's why we're focusing on the notion that this is a spectrum and you can keep going up. There is no end to how high you can go. But you have to meet the criteria and you have to constantly be moving up. And this is something that I've said in the past and I know it sometimes it makes things more difficult and then you, you're, you're afraid and you don't know where to start and what does that mean. But the idea that there is no staying at the same level. That does not exist in the world. Not in the world that we live in. Not the type of nature that we have. Not our spiritual nature. Not our material nature. There is no staying at the same level at anything. Everything is in movement. Including you. You are either going up or going down every single instant. Every action, every breath, every intention, every thought is bringing you higher up, making you better, or bringing you down. There is no staying put. And so constantly we have to go back to that notion that you just said, which is, I think good thoughts, I have good intentions, I have sincerity, this needs to be bringing me up higher, but it needs to lead to action. Okay, the action is going to bring me back to intention later. And then, but you have to constantly inject in there, that's why we have to go towards the spirituality of knowledge, and we're touching on that now. This is not all in your hands. All you can do is hope that you're doing the right thing so that God helps you in that way. Because there are things that, they're not like material causes. You know, I do and I get. I, I push the door, the door opens. Right? This is a material cause and effect. Those things we're talking about, these are spiritual things. This is in the hands of God. I want God to give me. Everything I'm doing is, I'm doing for God. So He needs to be the one who gives me, places that light in my heart. I can't go and do it on my own, you know, kind of outside the game, outside the rules of the... There's no way to do that. Okay, so inshallah, once all of those ingredients are in place, we're going to be able to exactly say what you said, which is this is either a virtual, a virtuous cycle, so a spiral that brings you up, or the opposite, of course, which we're not talking about, we're not interested in, okay, the, the vicious cycle, the one that brings you down the more you move towards sinning and away from these types of, uh, the, the opposite of what we're talking about, the, more, the lower you sink, the deeper you sink, the more you lose your humanity. And there's also no end to how low you can go there. And this is a vicious cycle. You remove light from your heart, you make it more dark, this is going to make your actions worse. Every worse action is going to make you even darker and you keep going down. The opposite is true. Every time you have a good intention and you perform a good action, it brings more light in your heart and this elevates you. And that light makes you perform even better actions and get more knowledge, which brings in more light in your heart and so on. So long as you follow, so long as you don't stop, so long as you never fall in the trap of thinking this is enough, I'm good, the struggle is over, that doesn't exist. That The Quran says you never stop until you meet your Lord. Right? This struggle continues to God until you meet Him. 
in the afterlife, until you meet your Lord, until you reach your Lord. Yeah. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Okay, we are done.